Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I am just happy to see all of the callers and welcome the chatters to the show tonight. Now, I'm opening the phone lines very early tonight because this is a subject that we're going to talk about, but we're also going to have fun talking about it, and it's family reunions. And just to get us going, I have posted uh, the OJ song on Facebook, and we're going to listen to a little bit of the the lyrics tonight before we start the show. So just hold on, folks, while I get the song ready, and let's listen to some of the lyrics. I just love that song. I see 
True Lewis put in here, ain't no family reunion without that song. And, and I said, you know, that's right. And I'm just so happy to welcome the guest for our show tonight, Callie Ann Jenkins. She is a senior technical project manager at ICF International. And in 2011, she planned and managed a large family reunion with about 130 people in Silver Spring, Maryland. And she's currently with her family in the process of writing a family reunion planning guide to help her other family members plan family reunions. And I'm hoping that her guide will help us. So let me give a warm welcome to Kelly and Jenkins to research at the National Archives and beyond. Kelly and welcome. Thank you so much, Bernice. Thank you for having me on this evening. Well, I'm so happy to have you, and this is one of those fun shows. I mean, we talk about family reunions, and this song just kind of puts everybody in the mood to come together, to to enjoy the family, to just celebrate the family. And so let us start at the beginning, because I think that if we're going to do it right, we need to talk about, well, what do you do? So what do we need to get started? And before we even go there, before we even go there, why don't you tell us how you got involved in planning a family reunion? So uh, my grandmother hosted our first family reunion on my father's side, and she decided that she didn't want to see family members just at funerals and wakes. She wanted to see family members in much more happier settings, so she decided to host um, our first family reunion about 30 years ago in uh, northern New Jersey in one of our local town's parks. And it started from there, and it's grown to a multi-day Memorial Weekend event that everyone um, comes out to, flies out to in different parts of the country. This past Memorial Day, we were in Los Angeles, California, so for an East Coast family to travel all the way to the West Coast to have a family reunion was a new experience. Um, The previous year we were in Houston, so we try to travel where family wants to host a reunion. Um, it's had challenges, but it's been overall it's been good. Well, your grandmother certainly had the right message to send to everybody because you always find people at the funeral. At the funeral, they always say we we need to get together, but the best time to get together is before the funeral. And right. so it's just wonderful to hear that 30 years ago, wow, that's that's a good time ago, and that you all have kept the tradition going in the family. And traveling to where family members are, that's that's a unique experience also. So we want you to share a little bit about that also. I can imagine the logistics involved in trying to put on a family reunion in different places. So how do we start planning for a family reunion, especially if a family has never had one? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to start early. Um, One of the challenges that I see in terms of planning family reunions, the idea comes up so close before the event's supposed to happen, and you're under the gun to try to rush around and get things um, arranged and prepared for the reunion, and that's very stressful. So my recommendation is first identify a date, time that you want to, at least a year out, and begin planning 
with a, a planning team that you compile to begin working towards getting towards that date and having your family reunion. That's the first step is starting early. Right, and you say a year out. At least a year out because when you're trying to secure, depending on what kind of reunion you want to have, if you want to have a, you know, a reunion that involves, you know, a picnic or a barbecue, you have to start early because you want to secure the proper location, you want to identify your budget, you want to identify your food costs, you want to make sure you have enough lead time to make those decisions along the way. When you run up against the deadline, costs go up, expenses go up, and you really want to start early so you can prevent that from happening. Right. Now, I see there's a comment coming out of the uh, chat, and I'll be going back and forth with you and what's coming out of the chat, but True just said that uh, they give each reunion committee four years to plan, which is wow. (laughs) That's each reunion committee. So they go to Pittsburgh in 2015 and Orlando in 2017. Wow, that, that is great. And some reunion, um, family reunion committees are, like, excellent. I mean, they have regional representation from across the country. They get together, they meet, they have conference calls. But if you're not quite at that level yet with your family, you know, you have to start much smaller. Um, I definitely give the chatter um, great kudos for being that organized years in advance. And that helps also people save their money and prepare, you know, to travel to these locations. Yes, yes. Well, when you you mentioned planning and committees, so what who should be a part of a, a planning committee, uh, and who should start looking into the budget? Well, ideally, on your planning committee, you have to have someone who's going to like lead the effort. So you may be a family reunion like planning manager. That person kind of oversees the whole reunion from beginning to end. You need someone mm-hmm. who's okay with money in terms of the finances. Are you going to? request family members to pay into the reunion? Um, are you going to have reunion fees? You need someone who, who's able to manage that, um, the, the, the financial aspect of it. You need to have someone who's an activity planner. You just start, you're not just worried about the food at a family reunion. You want to have activities for um, children and for adults. Uh, if it's card games, if it's a scavenger hunt, if it's just you know, you know, some kind of basketball tournament. You want to have activities that keep people staying for the long haul for the duration of your reunion. You also need a communications person. I recommend that person being an older person in your family and a younger person. The older person can be on the phone calling family members, telling them we're going to have a reunion, do you want to come, giving them the basic information. The younger person who's in charge of communication can do all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, group text whatever you want to do to reach out to family. You need someone who's going to capture the family history. A lot of times reunions are just a social affair, but you have to have someone there who's going to capture the the oral history from your oldest family members because you want to have that, you know, um, captured, you know, for prosperity's sake. And lastly, you need need to have your support team, whoever's willing to help and pitch in uh, along the way to help this be successful. So those are the people that you need to have um, as a part of your planning committee. Wow, well, you're, the way you're talking, you, you're it's certainly not two people. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> definitely uh, not. Oh, right, right. And then that whole multi-generational, I mean, you mentioned the younger person for right. the social media, but then an older person, and say a little bit more about the, the generational difference as far as communication is concerned. So the younger um, generation are much more 
technology savvy, so they are familiar. They're comfortable using social media to communicate to anyone about anything. So you, you might as well use that, you know, that youthful energy and that youthful spirit to engage them in, um, you know, helping plan the reunion. For your older family member who may be retired or who is, you know, homebound um, as part of their lifestyle, they're usually on the phone. They'll call family and friends up anytime. Use that person to communicate um, about the reunion because what normally what happens is when people, when they call the family, people listen. They say, you know, Aunt Sarah told me about the reunion. I've got to get, you know, get myself together so I can get to that reunion. So I like having that dual dynamic because it, it helps the communication cover everyone in the family. Right. So you have the one that's on the grapevine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and they're spreading the word around, and that's good because they're making that personal contact, which means right. that people want to come because they're kind of feeling and touching and loving each other. And then you have that little younger generation because they're on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and doing all those other good things, and they kind of spreading the word too. Well, right. I think that's, that's a good strategy to just try to get both groups communicating with each other. Right. But what else do we need to talk about? Because you did mention budget. And so it, that's, that's always, a, I think, a, a kind of hot issue and a, a, a issue that you need to come to grips with very early in the planning stages. So what types of elements are you including, uh, items are you including in the budget that the, the committee definitely needs to take into consideration? So before you determine your budget, you have to figure out what kind of reunion are you going to try to have? Are you going to try to have a one-day event where people come out to a location, maybe a picnic, a park? Um, are you having a multi-day event that's covering two or three days? Um, are you are you going to go for the gusto? I mean, there's families who do these elaborate cruises, you know, and coordinate cruises to, you know, wherever. You have to decide first what your, your, your um, kind of reunion you're going to have. I would say if you're starting out, don't overcommit. Commit to what's manageable. Normally what's manageable out the gate is that picnic-style, barbecue-style um, reunion. So when mm-hmm. you're developing your budget for that, the most important thing to realize is that you may not have people paying into this initially in terms of family paying in to come to this reunion. So first thing you have to address if you're having a single-day barbecue picnic-type event is the food costs. So you have to assume, um, you know, in your planning, how many people at a minimum you think will show up. Not the maximum, the minimum. So if you think, oh, it's going to be about 20 people, you can always add to that because you started early to that number as you get more and more confirmation that people are going to come. I recommend mm-hmm. if you're going to do that family barbecue event also is bring a dish. Have family members bring dishes to that event. Tell them that we need X, Y, and Z for the reunion, and please bring a dish. The reason I say bring a dish is because there's family history in those dishes. Sometimes people have these elaborate recipes from great-grandma, auntie, so-and-so, and that's part of the history of your family. So you can ask them to bring the dish and the recipe, you know, to the event. Um, you have to also see how much you're willing to incur if you're going to chair this on yourself from a financial aspect, are you going to pay for the park permit? Are you going to just pay for the meat? You have to see what obligation you're willing to incur as this gets started because it's never easy to get people to pay initially. In subsequent years, it's easy to get them to pay, but not initially. So um, I recommend 
you know, keeping your budget as as small as possible initially. And then, you know, if people keep generating extra interest and confirmation that they're going to come, you can keep growing the number bigger and bigger and to accommodate, you know, these people who are coming. Right. And we have a comment coming out. You mentioned bring a dish and a recipe. And uh, once again, here's a comment that family recipes have always been in the reunion book uh, for African Americans. She's stating, I don't know why, but we have done that. This is true. Uh, but you mentioned the whole potluck kind of the bring a dish. How do you uh, avoid having the same food? Is there a, a menu that you put together so that you allow people to bring a dish? And how do you just manage the whole uh, safety of the food once that dish is brought in for that single well, event? Well, as a, that's one of the things you would discuss with your planning committee. You would discuss, okay, what, where are we going to have this event? What time of year of it is it going to be? How are we going to, you know, in, ensure food safety? So if you have to have a menu that's, you know, not a lot of mixed items like pasta salads and macaroni salads, anything with mayonnaise that can go bad, and you can't really have those those items there, or you can make sure they're secured in, like, you know, coolers with ice, so forth and so on. But that's part of your planning committee um, job is to set a menu for that event and then assign and then say, you need, I need five, I need five meat dishes or five dessert dishes or, you know, so forth and so on. But you don't just say, you don't open up to the wild, wild west because you'll have a whole bunch of layer cakes <laughs> coming okay. to the reunion. Oh, yes, all those good old cakes. Maybe the cakes from the Safeway, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but this is great. So you have the single event, which is what you said, and starting, I guess, starting at a smaller level with the single event, and then you have the multiple day event. So why don't we move from the single event and again talk about budget and what what goes into the budget for a multi. Uh, day event. So depending on where the location is and if you're a traveling family or you're going to the same destination every year, um, you have to look at what's going to happen across the multi-day event. So for example, normally I've seen reunions happen over holiday weekends, so it's you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. What are you going to what are you going to try to achieve in those you know, three or four days. Um, for example, in my father's family reunion, the one that my grandmother kicked off in, about 30 years ago, they start on Friday. They have a welcome event. Then on Saturday, they have a picnic and maybe an outing. Sunday, they have a service. So you first thing you have to look at, once again, in a multi-day event, is the food cost. How much is it going to cost to, one, feed people who are going to come out to this, um, how much is it going to cost to secure location? Are you having it at a hotel? Are you running using catering services via a hotel? Looking at those costs um, and then start building your budget. The thing, once again, I must reiterate is you must start small. You, you may you may want to see 300 people show up, but they may, that, that may not be realistic. And you don't want to have any cost overruns be on your dot. So that's why I always say start small, start early, so that you can add as you go. But is there a certain period where you, you cut off, let's say, okay, you have a three-day event, and right. you budget for 50 people. Right. Suppose you don't get your 50 people for your three-day event until two days before the event. Then well, the, what do you do? Well, that's a, that's one of the most 
contentious things that I see in anyone who's hosted a reunion. And this is what I say. You have to set the plan, as a planning committee, you have to set an absolute um, date with the family. You have to say your payments have to be in on this date by this time to the family. We are, you know, because that helps you secure your finalize your budget. I know people want to be very nice and say we got to love family, work with family, but that puts an undue burden on the committee the day of the event to try to just hunt down people for payments, hunt down people for half payments, people just having a very indifferent attitude because they feel, well, I came all this way, and if I can't afford it, I should just still be able to enjoy the festivities. So I know it's not, you know, comfortable, but I'm really a big believer in just setting expectations with family and saying the last day to pay is X date and keeping to that date because I've seen reunions where people have crashed reunions, family, quote-unquote, crashed reunions, and the planning committee has been left with thousands of dollars of overruns. So when your family's driving away saying, see you next year, you have a credit card balance that's enormous because people have crashed the event. So you have to really stay hard in your planning and say this is the absolute date that we're willing to set to get payments. Right. Yeah, I can I can see that setting the deadline and then, you know, the you 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 have these people to show up at the last minute, but you're right. They can't they, it it does create an undue burden on the the planning committee, especially as you said, they end up with overruns and money that the planning committee has to to end up paying. Gee, planning a and family I've, reunion is not easy, huh? And I've seen and I've seen tactics where people use armbands and wristbands and when you check in you get a wristband that you must wear all three days because it verifies that you've paid. I've seen, you know, people stop people going into, you know, banquet functions saying, wait, 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 you haven't paid for this. You can't come into the banquet because, it, you know, that's why I say start early with your communication. If you keep communicating to family early and managing the expectation of when payments are due, this conversation gets less and less difficult. It's less well, and less difficult. Right. Well, we're going to take a break and then come back to talk about how do you start early with communications and what kind of communications are you sharing with the people. Uh, So let's take another little break, and we'll be back in a few seconds.
That's right. It's so nice to come together and get together. I want to welcome you back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. Well, you have been listening to Callie Ann Jenkins discuss planning your family reunion. And, you know, those words that we're hearing were written by Leon Huff and Kenny Gamble, and I just love every word that they've put into the song Family Reunion. So let's go back to Callie Ann Jenkins so she could tell us a little bit more about communications and what kind of communications should we establish to make sure that people are able to understand what's being planned and to participate? Back to you, Kellyanne. Oh, sure. Thank you, Bernice. Um, in terms of communicating, I, like I said, been saying throughout this wonderful show, you have to start early, um, no later than eight months away, preferably a year where you have to start um, building the enthusiasm for people to come to the reunion. The goal is people have to, you know, adjust their schedules, you know, plan for their kids leaving school, so forth and so on, traveling, get off from work. So the more information you can get out early, the better. So as a part of your planning committee, you want to make sure that you've, you know, finalized some of the, some of the, you know, the hardcore details in terms of, like, the location. Where are you having this? Um, what day are you having it? What time of day are you having it? Getting that information out <clears throat> to the family as soon as possible and within like eight months of the event is optimal. Next, go on. Go ahead. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> Next, um, you have to also address um, sending sending information out via snail mail. I know that sometimes you don't want to send things via the mail, but I always try to recommend sending information via snail mail to your older family members. They'll read the mail. They'll read the information that you send out um, and learn more about the reunion, too. Also, taking advantage of social media. Have your communications lead, your younger family member, send out regular communication about the reunion, what's happening, what the events are going to be, how you know people who are already planned to come to attend. Um, I like to also emphasize that it's best to also coordinate some of the communication around big family holidays um, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter because you want the reunion to be part of the talk of that holiday. So I recommend maybe two or three days before those holidays, you know, sending out some kind of communication to the family so it can be part of the conversation that can build people wanting to come to the reunion. Right, and that that is a good way of getting people to get excited. I, you know, you, I, you said the word build enthusiasm for the family reunion. But sometimes, I, and not, not to make a, a turn this positive into a negative, but sometimes it just looks like people are just pulling and begging people to just get back to them. I mean, what can you do? to ensure that people are on top of the reunion planning, that they've definitely bought into it, and that you will have at least 25, 50, 100 people come to your reunion. So I sit on, in addition to my regular job, I sit on a nonprofit board too, and one of the strategies that you do is you say who's coming. 
So it's part of your ah, communication. Okay. You can say, oh, you know, great grandma Anne's coming with cousin Ralph, and you list the names because what I see a lot of it's like see a lot of things that happen is that people say, oh my gosh, it's cousin Anne's going, then I gotta go too. So you start listing who's already confirmed they're gonna come. And then as it gets closer to that date, in terms of, you know, people committing to coming, the list gets bigger and be bigger and bigger, and more people end up wanting to come. List everyone that's planning on coming, who's confirmed. Yes, 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 which which is great. Now, let's talk about family history, because I think you mentioned somewhere that in planning the event, you want to at least integrate some family history. How would you go about doing that? Well, the first thing I would say is um, you have to capture the oral history of that event. People just talking about how they feel about it, how they feel about coming. You want to capture some of those older family members who made the you know, made the decision to come all the way to the reunion. And capture some of their you know family memories via you know video recording, audio recording. It doesn't have to be elaborate in terms of technology, but it has to be captured. You want to take photographs. You want to make sure you identify who's in those photographs, you know, so for, for, history, for history's sake. But it's very important to have a family history component. Maybe it's just having a moment in that reunion where people stand up and say how they're related into the family, how they're linked in. Is it via marriage? Is it via a great-grandparent, an aunt, so forth and so on. But it's, it's important for people to hear that and hear how they link in. And um, so they can get a big perspective of how this big family, you know, has come together. Right. And what about just family reunion books? Do you prepare some type of publication that you give to people? So I, when I hosted um, the reunion here in Silver Spring, I did do a family history book. Um, it was a massive undertaking, but I included, you know, family, family email and photographs that were important to them. I had sections for each family component that, you know, submitted in pictures. I had recipes that people sent in that wanted to have the recipes be part of the history, I mean, the family history book. I also did um, people who served in the military. It's important to know who served in the armed forces and what their contribution was to the armed forces. Yes. Um, listing, listing birth dates, listing phone numbers and accurate email addresses and accurate addresses. So you can reach out to those people if you want to pass the reunion. Just recognizing the people that we've lost since we've last met, recognizing people that have been born into the family since we've last met. So um, it was a labor of love, but I feel that that's an excellent part. At least having a directory so that people can reach out to one another is crucial. Right. And I, I have, uh, there's a comment coming out of the chat. Shannon said that in his experience, uh, using Ancestry.com and DNA websites helps to promote the reunion, and he's found that to be successful. That sounds like now, a Go ahead on. That's a good tool. Whatever whatever tool that you can use that can help it make it be, be promoted, go forth and use it. Right, right. Now, there's a... a question that wonder if anyone has used the newspaper to publicize their reunions. Have you seen that in your uh, planning process? Um, no, but I have seen people like submit to their local like um, county council member, local you know delegate saying that I'm going to have a reunion on this date in this city and they can forward you like a proclamation or a recognition that becomes a matter of public record. So I have seen people um, do that. 
Right. <laughs> I haven't seen the newspaper, though. So let's talk about some of the unexpected things. <laughs> what should we do about the unexpected? Well, as a part of the planning committee, you have to figure out how you're going to address these issues ahead of time. So if that person does show up at the reunion with 20 people behind them and saying, I couldn't get my stuff together and I want to participate, you have to have an answer on how you're going to address that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have. You don't need to be trying uh, trying to come up with the answer the day of the event. You tell the committee we're gonna if this happens we're gonna address it X Y and Z, and see if you and and you have to decide amongst the committee how you're gonna handle. I can't recommend one way or the other. You know you you may you may be able to squeeze them in. You may have oh we may have budgeted in more than enough to include them in, and they had their money ready. It depends on how you want to handle it, but. You don't want to have any. You want to have a consistent message when you see those people show up, right? So, is it that? Yeah. So, uh, is your committee sitting down and going through a lot of what if scenarios? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially, especially when it comes to the the food. Um, Some, if you're having at these hotel venues, they don't really have like a kids plate for kids. So people Mm -hmm. show up with like five or six kids. That's an adult charge in terms of a place setting for, you know, food. So you have to really, you know, it's tough, but you, you'll you sleep better knowing that you're debt-free walking away versus sitting there saying, I have to now absorb, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars because these 20 people decided to come to the reunion. Because they won't, they won't feel bad that you've incurred this cost. They, they won't feel bad about that credit card payment coming to you a month later and you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So you have to kind of stick to what you what you agree to with your committee. Right. And so coming up with just some what-if scenarios, if this happens, this is what we'll do. And you, you're almost kind of laying out some, some rules of, of how you're going to, to govern this event. And you uh, put it in your communication. Underway. Oh, okay. And you put it okay. in your communication. You say we will not accept on-site registration. We will not okay. accept late payments. And so so family can say, you should have read that email that went out last two months ago. So they're not they're not doing late registration. But if you keep communicating that this will not be tolerated, you'll have less of a risk of that happening at the event. It's when it's not communicated that planners run into problems. Okay, so this is. I mean, I think this is a good tip though, because if you, you you're saying it right, if you do tell people up front. These are the expectations, and you're not going to break the rules that, because that's what it sounds like you're saying. You're going to come up with this is the scenario. We're not going to have on-site registration. Therefore, if you come and you have not registered, you will be turned away. Right. And it's, and it's just that clear so that people know that you're not going to allow them to walk in. Right. Now, there's a message that's coming here from, from Shannon. People do not care if you have communicated the deadline. They do what they want to do. Okay, so how do you handle that? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, you're going you're gonna to have those instances where um, um, family members just crash the reunion. So <clears throat> I've seen this happen in a variety of reunion settings where the host has been hard, has been hard and fast in what they've said. So they will not, let's say you're having a banquet. They won't seat anyone for the banquet who hasn't paid. So they'll, they'll, they'll police the door and say, you've paid, you've paid, you haven't, so you're not coming in. You wow. know, they'll 
they'll bring in the, the hotel catering manager and say this person hasn't paid because they don't want to incur that cost on their credit card that they've, you know, secured for this event. Yeah. Also, you, 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 may, you may have the, what I've seen also work on some occasions is you have that old male family member come over and you say, look, you have them talk to that person. Or maybe you have a couple people talk to the people and you say, look, this was what this is what the the planning committee has said. This is what we're going by. I'm sorry. We, we, we either we can or we can't accommodate you. Whatever you guys decide. Because I mean I've I've in the, in one of the most I've seen the reunion person have to be like eight thousand dollars in debt. Eight thousand dollars in debt for oh, wow. incurring cost overruns. Do you really want to go through that with your reunion? Because People do what they want to do. You have to be strong on this. Right. And we have a comment coming out of the chat. Uh, Linda said in 2006 they had to take up a collection for the host at the banquet because the host would not have gone, the host would have gone into the hole. And that's something that really should not happen. I mean, this is this is good that you're saying it now for those people who are planning so that they can already uh, expect this to happen. Uh, you know, but as as true is saying, everybody wants preferential treatment. True, I mean it's unfortunate, and I've you know, and I and I've seen collections taken up too. And I mean, you know, people just don't they don't want to be embarrassed by family, you know, so they just come out of pocket or quick, do a quick collection and give it to the hotel or the host committee members and say pay the outstanding balance. But the problem is that's that what ends up happening is. Family reunion planners talk after they've hosted a reunion. So the next person yeah. you'll say, look, James did not pay. So just be warned, <laughs> if he comes to the next reunion, he probably won't pay. And they talk, and then, and then that next reunion, that committee gets even stronger because they know James is coming in with his 20 people. So don't don't think it's that bad behavior will not be communicated to the committee, maybe to everyone in the family through you know various means. It does happen. It does happen. Well, let's talk about uh, the, just the fee. Let's say you have you have a, made a decision from your planning committee that a family would pay, let's say, $50. Right. Or $10 or $25. But mm-hmm. how do you define the family? Is it 20 adults? I mean, excuse me, not 20 adults, but is it two adults and three children? Or is it... One adult and ten children. I mean, how do you come up with a reasonable cost so that everybody can say this is fair for the family fee? This is. I normally see it come down. I mean, I do. I do in any given year three reunions. So I. They all do it the same way. It's per person. It's whatever the adult oh. fee is and whatever the child fee is. It's not a family. Because your family could be twenty people or ten people in that family, so it's per person. Okay, and and, okay. Mm-hmm. and with the per person, is it a different fee for a child versus an adult? Right. So sometimes you make the, the adult fee, you know, a little higher so that you can cover for the kids, or maybe kids can kids under a certain age could be free. So, mm-hmm. but you have to see how that dynamic plays out in terms of who's interested in coming. I mean, normally the adults fee covers for the children. I've, that's kind of the easiest way to make it work. Okay. Okay. 
And so, I mean, once again, we have these these comments coming out, and uh, his true again, true love. You've really been involved in in uh, family reunion planning, as I can say. She said they have bylaws, and each reunion tries to stick with the present day costs. I mean, reasonable costs is what right. they they try to stick with. Now, uh, there's Shannon coming out, and he said that uh, he uses even bright to sell tickets for the family reunions. And they have an early bird deadline, a regular deadline, and a late registration fee. Have you done that? Um, I've used PayPal. I know people use PayPal to do the same type of thing they use. They can use Eventbrite to do the same type of thing. The benefit of those tools is people can, one, pay by credit card, so Mm -hmm. you don't have to mail a check to somebody. You're not quite sure who this person is or a money order. So you can do it online. You can pay for your whatever you're paying for the fee, maybe some T-shirts or so forth and so on, or some extra events. It also tells you real time how much money you're bringing in. You don't have to have a complicated spreadsheet, you know, to know how much money you're bringing in. But those tools are getting better and better. PayPal, Eventbrite has a private invitation feature that lets you lets you not have to make it public to the world, but give it to you know people who, who you have email addresses in the family. So those tools are great. I say go ahead and use it. It makes it much easier, you know, in terms of collecting payments. Oh, okay. Also, I mean, I want to just talk to you about just kind of giveaways or favors. Or, or when you put together a family reunion, do you also put together a build-in fee for a T-shirt or uh, the reunion book? Just kind of give us an idea of what you do with the um, – special special little trinkets, if you will, that people will take from the reunion. So in terms of trying to entice people to come to the reunion, one of the things I do that I recommend doing is you say as part of your communication, if you're the first person to register, if you're one of the first five people to register for the reunion, you will receive some type of prize at the reunion. That gets people trying to get their stuff in to get the prize. It kind of entices them to get their things in on time. As for um, T-shirts, it's, uh, it's whoever you can find who has the best quality T-shirt at the cheapest price. Um, you don't want to have a very expensive T-shirt that's like 20 or $30. You want to have one that, you know, you can order enough that people want, you know, one want to wear past that reunion date and is, you know, cost-effective. Um, reunion books, it depends on how much it costs to fabricate. I mean, they can be very expensive if they're color, if they're bound. But what I, one thing I did um, when I held the reunion, I, I pushed all that stuff on um, CDs and DVDs and said, okay, here you go, you can have a DVD with the reunion book, the recipes, whatever you want, you know, whatever we have for you. And that was, that was cheaper than having to, you know, publish 20 books. So oh, they, yeah. they walked home with a CD. And probably now you can upload it and make it even easier. Some of those files were too big to email, so you, I put them on CD, and people took them home, and they use it right now. Oh, okay. And uh, now how do you – I mean, I know you mentioned even Bright and what have you, but how do you uh, keep track of your participants that sign up to attend? Do you have some type of uh, database? Um, you, whatever tool you feel comfortable with. I mean, I I work in IT project management, so 
I can, I know I built my own little database, Microsoft Access database to kind of run reports and counts and count numbers and stuff. But you can still do the same thing in Microsoft Excel or some X and some type of spreadsheet tool or even a Word document. The point is you have to just write it down. You have to write down who's paid what, how much, when, so you can have an idea, you know, what your overall totals are. It, I've seen some tragic instances where people just don't have good clear documentation of who's paid what, and then it overwhelms them. And then they just, they're just they just completely disorganized, and that leads to possible cost overruns that you have to incur during the event. So whatever yes. tool is comfortable for you. Yes. Now what about those who, let's say you're going, you mentioned that you had a, uh, your family reunion in California. Now what type of coordination do you all do with the hotels as far as negotiating uh, a decent lodging rate? So most hotels will get, offer you a minimum a minimal block of a minimal block of rooms for free. So if you say I'm having a reunion and they say okay we're going to have ten rooms a ten room block for free so that means the free means they will not charge you if those rooms do not sell they'll just go be rolled back into their overall hotel count. I recommend anybody who's doing accommodations do it that way. Do not secure rooms on your credit card. Do not secure rooms in large volume. Whatever the hotel minimum is, you secure that amount of rooms. And then you communicate to your family, I have a 10-room block that's available at this rate. And you want, once those rooms are gone, you have to pay at the whatever the hotel stated rate is because that's one way people can get into trouble on their credit cards and cost overruns is by trying to promise the hotel Rooms that they can't, they know they won't be able to fulfill. So when you talk about the minimum block of rooms, uh, a 40-room hotel, and their minimum might be they may only block 10. So that means that the first 10 that get in get that block low charge, and then the rest of the people have to pay the going rate? Or Yeah, but normally what happens is hotels are really good about holding that rate for a long time. So if you say your rate, if your reunion is going to happen over Memorial Day, they'll hold it, they'll hold it until May one, mm-hmm. you know, or May fifteenth or something. So it'll it'll be available as long as rooms are available for whatever amount of time they deem is necessary before your event. But yeah, you have to um, you you have to make sure that you don't incur any costs to secure additional rooms. That's the easiest way is to go with the hotel minimum. And it can be negotiable. I mean, they may say 10, they may do 15 because it's not that busy time of year, but you want to make sure you're absolved if none of these rooms sell or, you know, only two of them sell. You don't want to incur any costs on your dime for that. It's not worth it. Well, that, that I mean, you've given some just some really good tips, and we're getting close to the end of the show, and I certainly want to – Invite those who've been in the chat room just giving all kind of tips. If you'd like to call in and just share your experience, please call 646-200-0491. We're going back until someone calls in. There's just some comments coming out of the chat. One is that small-town hotels have very strange blocking rules. And with that in mind, certainly folks have to look at, well, what are those strange blocking rules? And perhaps, Shannon, you can tell us more about that. 
And then True just mentioned your relationship with them matters. Um, in their case, with making a lot of they're making a lot of good communications. I guess with the their family members as well as good communications with these uh, hotels. So it's just so so many things you definitely have to to keep in mind when putting together these family reunions. But and one thing about the hotel. Like, Go ahead. Go ahead. One thing about the hotels, as I can say, is that what we try to normally do is we try to do a hotel that, one, offers, like, the suites, so maybe an embassy suites or um, whatever these suite-type hotels are, because they normally can hold a lot of people in a room, because people travel with family and different combinations of family, and they'll bunk up together to, you know, to to stay together. Um, Hotels that offer free breakfast, that's very important. You want to have a hotel that's going to have, offer free breakfast so you don't have to incur costs for feeding people breakfast. Or some hotels have a cocktail hour, so you don't have to worry about in, having incurring cocktail costs for the family. So look into those hotels that offer the suite-type rooms and offer free breakfast because that will make it more worthwhile to family to come to the reunion. Right. Also, are you finding some hotels that really are right now specializing in family reunions? I mean, that they actually have somebody on staff that when you say it's a family reunion, that's the person they assign you to work with? Oh, yeah, definitely. They'll they'll have a whole on-site registra- online registration feature that they can turn on their website for your event. And I've seen all types of elaborate tools that they do from their event planning standpoint to help people with reunions. So like I mean, identifying discounts to local restaurants, local, um, you know, local features, local points of interest. I've seen it all. I mean, their hotels want that that block of people to come in, you know, for whatever day it's going to be or the days it's going to be, because it's, it's guaranteed money. And what about some of the genealogy and historical societies in the communities where you're having your reunions? Have you even considered uh, working with any of them to announce your reunion or to at least send someone in to just talk about the history of the community? I mean, that's definitely an option. I mean, I know when we, on our, on my dad's side of the family reunion travels back down to South Carolina, to Camden and Sumter, South Carolina, we do reach out to local genealogical societies and just get the latest updates about what's happened in terms of recent developments. Um, in terms of my mom's side of the family, their reunion is held in their hometown, so they never go anywhere else. So the history is already in that town. People know about the history through the courthouse and different records and stuff. So I definitely recommend reaching out and see if there's any, been any recent developments that have transpired related to the family. It might be an interesting thing to mention at the reunion. Right. And, oh, there's a comment coming out from True Lewis. She said in D.C. last summer they had reenactors come from the uh, United States Color Troops Museum. And she said they were awesome. She'll never forget those ladies, which is wonderful. That That's great. That's great. Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Okay, well, do you have any any parting comments that you want to leave with us so that when we begin the planning process, we can take all of your experience and hopefully have what we would call a pain-free planning <laughs> process? <laughs> I would just go over, remember the three steps to having a successful reunion. Start early. The earlier the better. It's easier on you. 
communicate to the family often and expect the unexpected. And the last thing I would recommend, and this is not in jest, it's very serious, schedule a vacation for yourself after the reunion because <laughs> you attending a reunion is different than planning a reunion. And you will be tired and you will be waving to that last family member saying, I am so exhausted. I don't want you to have to go to work the next day in that state. Take a day for yourself, a couple days for yourself to get your energy back and to go forward with your life. Wow, that is something else. So start early, communicate to the family often, and plan for the unexpected. And then take that vacation. (laughs) Wait a minute. I thought that's what a family reunion was. (laughs) Only if you're attending, not if you're planning. (laughs) Okay, only if you're attending. Well, thank you so much. You have given us just a, a whole lot to think about. And it's it's fun just thinking about a family reunion. And it's not the funeral. It's like your grandmother said. You know, let's plan the fun- let's plan the the family reunion. Let's get together during this time rather than at the funeral. And she was very very wise to recommend that to you all thirty years ago. So thank you so much, Callie and so Jenkins, much. for coming on tonight. And I want to just thank everyone else for listening to the show tonight. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives, and then share all of that at your family reunion. Now, you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfroGenius Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I look forward to you joining me for an interesting discussion next week, The Slaves Have Names. Good night, everyone.